Dr. Jose Saldivar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. And, um, you know, one of the beautiful things of the podcast is just the opportunity to connect with folks from around the country, from around the world, and um, to collect and hear their stories. And so uh, today, my guest, my guest was, um, I connected with my guest through another guest with whom I connected through another guest. And so I, I, I love sort of the, the web that is being created through this podcast. And, uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow her to introduce herself. So Alicia, would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Yes, sure. My name is Alicia Sauso-Trowbridge, and I'm an immigration attorney in Boulder, Colorado. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know you're incredibly busy, so I, I really appreciate your time this morning. Alicia, I ask all of my guests if they had to identify a starting point for their educational journey, where would that starting point be for you? I think that for me, so I should start with both of my parents are college educated and they're both uh, attorneys. Um, and for all that that is true, I think that what really sparked my own interest and my own passion for what ultimately became the career I have now started with my cousin. So my favorite cousin, Rachel Morales, she graduated from Stanford um, when I was in the fourth grade. And so I went to my cousin's graduation and I just fell in love with everything about the campus and everything that I saw that she was doing. Uh, we went to her dorm room and she sat with a guitar with her friends and they were all playing music together. I just it was like it was like a totally different world. <laughs> And it was just amazing. And I just wanted it so badly for myself. You know, I, I love that. And, and but one thing that I want to know then is you said both of your parents are college educated. And yet to see this image right of your cousin sitting in the dorm room with the guitar and, and seeing community around that. My question is. What what was sort of the messaging that you were getting from parent from your parents, you know, and did they share their own college experiences and and what were those experiences like for them? Yeah, so definitely and the expectation from the time I was very young was Balicia, you were going to college, right, because both of my parents experiences, their college journeys were very very different. Um, so my father, he actually, he was born in Texas uh, and they moved the whole family, the Saucedos all moved to California uh, just in time for him to start high school uh, in the same high school that I attended. Uh, and it was there that my dad heard about Berkeley and he didn't really know how to get there. Uh, he just knew that this thing existed, right? This like college experience existed. Um, and so someday, one one day, um, my my dad tells a story, and I unfortunately I don't know any of the names associated with it, but he refers to this person as his um his guardian angel or his secret godfather. Um, someone from Cal came and knocked on the door and handed him an application and said, you have to apply 
to UC Berkeley. Um, and my father, you know, being 17 and not really understanding these things, he took that application and put it in the trash can. I was like, who is this person who just knocked on my door and said, you're applying to Cal? Um, and my grandmother, being my grandmother, she took the application out of the trash and said, Valeriano, you are doing this. Uh, and that that is how my dad ended up at Cal. Somebody knocked on his door and showed him what to do. Because before that, you know, my grandparents are farm workers. He, he knew that he wanted to go to college, but he didn't know what that path looked like. So somebody knocking on his door is how he ended up there. And then, you know, my dad graduated from Cal and he went to law school. He actually, he went to Stanford Law. Um, and so he went to the rival schools. <laughs> but um, my mom's story is really different. My mom, uh, so her mother always really, really, really emphasized education. And my mother always wanted to go to college to do something with herself. You know, she was the oldest of 15 children. Uh, so that, that's a lot of pressure in a very different sort of way than having two college-educated parents. Um, it is, you are the trailblazer. What are you going to do? And then what will your siblings take from that? Um, so my mom, she grew up in New Mexico. Um, and so my mom went to NMSU and then she went to UNM Law. Um, but um, because my mom, she was, in fact, a trailblazer, so many of her siblings after her then had an example of what to do. Uh, and so both of my parents, uh, they, they led the way. Um, for not only their siblings, but then for us, right? So it was an expectation um, and definitely uh, they, they, their pathway to college was so different than my own because they truly had no idea. Um, and if not for people stepping in and handing them applications or telling them exactly step-by-step step what to do, they wouldn't have gotten there. And it was different for me. But, you know, for all that my parents, you know, set this expectation until I went to my cousin's graduation. Wow. Uh, so much, so much there, so much to unpack. Um, the first thing that I think about is your father's story and this person, having this person come and knock on the door and bringing the application to them. And, and I, I, one, I think that's just a powerful story, right? And two, you know, I, a number of my guests have talked about, uh, I don't know, I don't want to call it fate, right? But having these individuals, these key people that sort of step into our lives, that identify something in us, that, mm -hmm you know, maybe, and I think everyone that I've interviewed, I, I, I'm sure given what I know about, about all of my guests would have done well, would have found a way somewhere. Right. But had, had these people not intervened, maybe would have had a different, just a different path. Right. And so I, I appreciate you sharing that story. And then your mother's story, 
about being the trailblazer in the family. And I think for so many, right, having that trailblazer is just so important to kind of leading the way and just providing a path um, for those that follow. You know, so, so thank you. Um, you said, you know, your path was different. You know, yet as a, we know that college was already an expectation for you. Did you have, I mean, you, you visited your cousin, right. And seeing your cousin in, in the, in the dorm room, um, beyond that, before that, I would say, did you have any colleges in mind one? And then two, what is it that you wanted to, to be when you were in high school? Uh, well, my dad went to Cal as an undergrad, right? So um, my dad would take me and my brother to Cal on a regular basis. Um, and, <laughs> and so my image of Cal uh, is from, you know, in these early trips, me and my brother and this mental image of this very gray campus. Um, and then in contrast, when you know, I went to Stanford and I saw my cousin and it was in this beautiful, you know, sandstone colored everything and palm trees and bright and sunny. <laughs> um, and I just, I fell in love. Uh, both of my parents are lawyers and um, both of my parents have worked so much in the Latino community um, in various ways. Um, my my goal was to serve the Latino community. And actually, <laughs> for all of my parents were lawyers, um, my favorite uncle, uh, my Theo Chuli, is a doctor. And so I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And all the way up through my senior year in high school, uh, I took extra biology courses. I took genetics courses. I did. I had a thought that I was, I was going to be a doctor. Not any doctor. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. And star that because I'll tell a story about that later. And then one day, my senior year, uh, I'm in, I don't even know how many biology courses it had been at that point. I'm looking around the lab and everyone's doing the same thing. You know, we're all sitting there looking into microscopes and taking notes. And I thought, I can't do this. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't do this. This isn't, this isn't the life that I want. Um, and I had been in mock trial uh, from the time that I was in you know, junior high all through high school. I loved mock trial. And I said to myself, Valicia, talking about fate, you are fighting fate. You were meant to be a lawyer. What are you doing with yourself? Uh, and so uh, when I when I applied to Stanford, I uh, freaked out my dad. And I applied undecided. Um, and well, now I'm a lawyer, so we see how that went down. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, you know, it's really interesting. So I, when I work with students, um, I, um, 
one of the courses that I teach is called Living and Working by Design. And it's modeled after this Designing Your Life course at Stanford. And uh, it's really interesting because one an activity that we do is, is called wayfinding. And so we go back and we encourage students to look back at their experiences, right? These are, and typically these are undecided students. And we ask them to look back to think about those experiences that were, um, where they found a lot of meaning, purpose, joy, and it's interesting because we rarely pay attention to those moments. Uh, but here, here you are talking about recognizing those moments and saying, I'm fighting fate. <laughs> like I, I've got, I'm having these experiences through mock trial and right. This is what the signs are telling me, but you know, I'm going to move forward to, you know, with, with medicine. Um, I'm glad you, you got to Stanford and, and chose to be undecided, you know, the, I imagine regardless of where anybody goes to high school, the the transition to a place like Stanford um, can be overwhelming, can be challenging. What was that transition like for you? Um, Are you familiar with the phrase mosca en leche? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So uh, just as visible and just as potentially unwelcome as a fly in milk. Um, so there definitely, that was, that was the first time that I had been outside of, that I had lived outside of a majority Latino community. So I grew up in a town that it was overwhelmingly Latino and overwhelmingly, even within the Latino community of Mexican origin, like me. Um, and so I was so used to just being part of the majority. Um, and all of a sudden I was not. Uh, and it's it's interesting, right? Because for me now, when I look back at it, um, not all of my friends are part of the Latino community, uh, but I found myself always gravitating to communities of color. Um, so one of the things, one of the things that I got to do because I was at Stanford and I got to explore, um, I studied Japanese, um, and I studied abroad in Japan. <laughs> so I still speak Japanese. Um, and, you know, that opened up its own world to me, um, because I got to live in Asia, um, as an undergrad, and then I returned to Asia, um, and I returned to Korea, so I'm not sure if it returned to Asia, but went to Korea. Um, and that was part of the gift of what Stanford gave me, right, is, um, a certain fearlessness of being a take on something that was be you know, let alone my grandparents, right? So, you know, my immigrant grandparents who had a had a vision of what it would mean to raise children in the United States that it couldn't even fathom these crazy things that Valicia was doing, running off to Japan and Korea, that completely beyond expectations, right? Um, and I'm so I'm so grateful for those moments of discomfort. You know, especially those early moments of discomfort and having to push through that um, and figure out how to be uncomfortable and use that to your advantage. Right. Um, one of the best pieces of advice that I got when I was a freshman was to think of being brand new as a four to five unit class, 
all by itself. And so whatever classes you take in your first quarter in particular, add, I am brand new, four to five units. And that was such good advice because it gave me space to breathe and figure out what to do in this new environment and how to handle it and being entirely in charge of myself and my schedule and entirely on Right. And that's that that's that transition into adulthood that happens in that same period of time for most people, but not all people um, that go to college, you know, that 18 to 22 year old window. Um, And it it was a gift. It was a gift because I think that um, being uncomfortable, being in a place that was so new, so different in a place that I could have disappeared into instead really forced me to step up to be brave um and then i've taken that you know to the present you know thank you thank you for sharing that and um you know i i get asked this a lot <sighs> students will ask me when they find out that i went to stanford they'll always ask what's the difference do you see a difference between stanford and between maybe the students at whichever school it is that I'm speaking. And really, I, I tell them the only difference that I see is, and I don't, I don't know where it comes from, and maybe you can speak to this, but this fearlessness that you speak of. Because I remember being a freshman and the people around me talking about doing things that I couldn't fathom doing doing things that I thought, are you crazy? <laughs> like, you, you know, where does one even come up with the idea that I could possibly do that? And I remember as we were leaving for the summer, people were talking about summer jobs, summer internships, and somebody was going to go to South Africa and somebody was going to work on a dude ranch in Wyoming. And, and I'm, and I was just amazed because this, it seemed to be part of the DNA of the campus and of, of the students, this fearlessness. Mm -hmm. Where did that fearlessness, wh when did you realize you had this fearlessness? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, so one, I agree. Uh, and I had similar experiences in your, this freshman who had written a book and he was like, you wrote a book? <laughs> <laughs> you have this you've been published we're 18 what are you doing um you know i had roommates who research in new zealand because they can i was right here i'm like this, this like small town girl who's like my parents are college educated i belong here and then people who have these like amazing ideas they're like where did you even come up with that and, you know, I I wasn't as confident as I am now as a freshman. Uh, definitely. I felt like, especially faced with someone who like, wrote a book. Um, do I belong here? Am I, am I really like these people? Am I, can I do these sorts of things? Can I be this brave? Can I come up with things like this? Um, and I don't know. I don't know that. I ever quite became that brave in my mind. Um, 
I don't think that as an undergrad, I've ever really entirely felt like I wasn't an imposter. But looking back, I I was pretty brave myself. You know, I, I learned Japanese. I went to Japan. Um, I kind of unplanned also added a quarter in Chile. And <laughs> why not? Um, native Spanish speaker wasn't hard to drop myself in there. Um, and, you know, that's all pretty brave. Um, and it's, you know, as a real adult <laughs> that I can recognize that. But I think that in my in my time as an undergrad, I didn't feel as brave. Um, and I'm not sure that at that time, I felt like I belonged entirely. I think there was always, you know, a little voice in the back of my mind that wondered whether I really belonged there. But now I don't. <laughs> now, as a, you know, um, when you think about, you know, you ask the question of like, what's the difference? Right. So apart from this fearlessness that seems to just run through the DNA of the campus, um, I think that there's also a fierce loyalty between the people who attend Stanford and everyone else that comes before and after them. Um, so one of the things that I do uh, is I am I am a mentor uh, to several uh, undergrads and some young people are getting to be less and less young, um, young professionals uh, who all also attended Stanford or currently attending Stanford. Um, and I encourage that same fearlessness in them. Uh, and I marvel at them. And part of my role from my perspective is to get them over that hump faster than I did. I don't want that little voice. I want to be there to squish it. I have I have a mentee who got funding this summer to do research all across the United States. And yeah, you know, he's you know going into his senior year at Stanford and he's interviewing people all over the United States. Um, and uh, you know he shared his location with me on the iPhone. Um, so that I could keep track of him because I'm also a mother, and I just—he's just everywhere. <laughs> all summer long, I watched him all over the country, all over the country. Wow. Um, and you know, that's even someone like him, mm -hmm. because he trusts me, can tell me about that little voice in his head, and that reinforces for me. Mm -hmm. That the little voice in my head was probably every bit as false as it is for him. But I can play that role. I can tell him, ignore that little voice. You know who you are. You know what you want. And you're going for it. Yeah. Whatever that little voice says, it's not, it's not important. You know who you are. And that's the role I get to play. That's awesome. I, um, you know, I've got to ask. As a, as an undergrad, did anybody play that role for you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Professor Luis Fraga. 
He was my advisor. There's always one. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and 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 Luis, I think you know he's played that role for countless students, right? Um, yeah. Um, so here you are, young and fearless, and traveling and studying abroad. When did you realize law school was in your future? Uh, well, once again, in my senior year, <laughs> I had a moment of doubt. <laughs> um, and I, I looked at myself, I looked at everything I was doing, you know, I diligently, I'd, I took the LSAT, I was getting myself ready, I'd spoken to Luis, um, and to my one of my professors um, in Japan. And yeah, you know, I had I had myself lined up. I was ready, and and then I thought, oh dear God, is this really what I'm going to do right now? Is this? Am I really ready for this? Am I really? Am I really ready to be a lawyer? Do I really want to go to law school? Am I about to drop you know 150k plus on this next step without knowing exactly what it is that I want to do with this law degree? And there are so many things I could do so many different pathways and I freaked out <laughs> and so I paused and I said no I'm not going to go immediately into law school I am going to figure myself out first and then I'm gonna go so what did I do I, I there's a little part of me that likes to fight fate and I'm not really sure why but so then I went to work at um, Community Legal Services in East Palo Alto. <laughs> so I said, I'm not sure I want to be a lawyer, but I'm going to be near lawyers. I'm going to figure this out. Uh, and then from there, so I took four years in between undergrad and law school. Uh, and then I had this opportunity to move to Korea. And so what did I do in Korea? I taught mock trial <laughs> at a foreign language high school. Balicia likes to fight fate. <laughs> that that is, um, and yet all pathways were still leading in one very particular direction. <laughs> so that's how I took four years in between undergrad and law school. Um, but everything around me was still. Yeah, I worked in legal services. And then I taught mock trial. And then at some point while teaching mock trial, I said to myself, Valicien, it's time. <laughs> you can do mock trial for the rest of your life. Or, or you could go to law school and you could be an actual lawyer. <laughs> wow. You, um, you, you know, you, you, you said you, you like to fight fate, right? I, I think we all do. I think we all think we know better. Um, and we know ourselves better, right? Um, just really quick side note, you know, for me, I, um, I, I, I left Stanford still kind of undecided. I'd majored in, in Chicano studies, but not really sure. I stayed and did a co-term, but all of everything for me was leading to education. Everything. You know, I, I worked as a substitute teacher, doing after-school programming, doing mentorship, and I and and I 
and and then and then a job lands in my lap at a university right after my my master's and i told myself i'll do this for three years um 22 years later <laughs> you know i'm i'm an education so i i don't know what it is i don't you know why we you know pickles are stubborn right we just want to fight fate right but you fate finds a way um you know tell me about because both of your parents are attorneys correct yes okay so that pathway right knowing okay now i'm gonna do law school having the having your parents and having their experience was that a difficult transition for you getting there and 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 then doing well in law school was that difficult for you um or or do you think with your parents background did you think do you think that helped you my parents background definitely helped me uh, without a doubt um and i i was not a top student in law school and looking back at it, it was because, again, I was fighting fate. <laughs> so here's here's one of the things about law school and why actually when I talk to my mentees about law school, I tell them that you have to know before you go in what it is that you want to do with a law degree. Because law school is built to, like a little conveyor belt, pick you up and drop you into big law. That's what law school is built to do. And if there's anything else that you want to do, you have to fight that conveyor belt and you have to know how to fight that conveyor belt. And you have to ask questions when you're looking at law schools about how to fight that conveyor belt. Um, If you want to do public interest, you have to ask questions about what is in place, the structures that are in place to help you to move into public interest. Because otherwise, that conveyor belt, it will pick you up and it will take you and it will drop you into big law. Um, And that'll be it. And getting out of big law is a challenge in and of itself. So you really have to know. Uh, And I didn't. And maybe part of it was because... I knew too much about all the different types of law I could practice because my parents were lawyers. Um, And I felt myself kind of get sucked into that conveyor belt. And it wasn't until I graduated from law school, I had done my post-bar, that I, by chance, was given an opportunity, right? So I was a licensed attorney and I still felt very lost in what on earth I was actually going to do with this license. Um, And I had this opportunity to represent pro bono um, a woman, Veronica, who was seeking asylum. And I was, you know, trained for... Superior Court in California, you know, very formal. And I went and appeared for the very first time uh, with my own license and without anybody else there to mentor me with this woman who depended on me so that she wouldn't be deported and potentially killed if she returned to her country. And it's a lot of pressure for a brand new baby lawyer who didn't really know what she was doing. Um. Talking about that fearlessness, right? Of being sure that I could figure out what to do. Uh, and we won. So we went before the immigration court 
and she was granted asylum. And from there on, uh, I knew what I wanted to do. (laughs) This opportunity fell into my lap. I wasn't looking for it. But I had this opportunity to deeply and fundamentally change this woman's life. So she was granted asylum in December of 2013. uh, And in April of 2022, she became a U.S. citizen. Wow. Uh, I still, when your very first client gets, when you get to see that, that journey, that arc. Yeah. This is what I was meant to do with myself. And, you know, immigration is so hard. It is so hard. The highs are very, very high. And the lows are very, very low. But like I said, I learned to be brave. I learned I learned that I can do really hard things and I can have my heart broken because definitely the work that I do breaks my heart sometimes and I can keep going. That's so powerful. I'm glad um I'm glad you stopped fighting fate. I'm glad um that you are doing the work that you're doing it uh it seems to be incredibly fulfilling and you can see it in you. And as you shared that story of Alicia, I want to be mindful of our time. And so what I want to ask you, I always ask my guests as we transition out for advice. So what advice would you give somebody who's fighting fate and, and is trying to find their way? One, know that you are not alone. This story of meandering my way through my life (laughs) to the present, I'm not alone. Everybody does it. Being uncertain doesn't mean that you're unqualified. That's really important to know. That's really important to know. And fear can be paralyzing. You have to embrace that uncertainty, and be willing to explore. And sometimes it's hard to explore. Sometimes the circumstances of our lives force us into making decisions. But even if you're forced into making a decision, some things are permanent, but not everything. And I think that the trick is to be able to discern where you can make pivots. Mm -hmm. I've pivoted so many times. In my life, in my educational journey, and my career, uh, yeah. Even most recently, I moved from California to Colorado. Right? There are all these pivots, and life is always like that. You know, everything is always described to us, especially when we're young, as if there's a single pathway. You know, if you go you go to kindergarten and you go from kindergarten all the way through grad school, you're given this line. <laughs> and it's just not, it's just not what life is. It's just not what life is. And the sooner you recognize that it's not going to be according to plan. You can plan and plan and plan and plan and plan and plan. But life will throw things at you. The sooner you start learning to pivot and make decisions based on what you have in front of you right now, 
plus putting some things into place that might help you to pivot, the better off you'll be. But I think the most important thing to know is that uncertainty does not mean you're unqualified. It just means you're uncertain. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for for taking the time to share your story, to walk us through your journey. And I appreciate the honesty that you shared with us, particularly as you as you talked about fighting fate. Um, I, I think that's encouraging and, and I'm eager to share that. I know that'll resonate with all of my listeners out there. Um, Alicia, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I appreciate it. Appreciate the story. So. This concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Make sure you follow, subscribe, rate, do all of that good stuff, and and do us a favor and share the podcast with one person. All right. Thank you, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.